Hi, my name is Agile, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon, and I believe you should too. Just go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel, website, and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up podcast listener, to the Backtrack edition of our podcast, which, as you probably already know, is the edition between our regular episodes where we pick a single topic from our youth and dig in deep on that. I am John. Joining me, as always, is Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. How's it going, guys? Before we get into the show, I uh, like to dig in and read some fourth listener email, and we absolutely have some that was in response to our last Backtrack. You guys remember we did the Backtrack all about novelty records, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we posted that uh, episode on Facebook, and a couple of our listeners chimed in. The first was Carl. And Carl said, man, those thin plastic records in Mad Magazine. By the way, did you know there's a CD compilation of those Mad Magazine <laughs> inserts called Mad Grooves Classic Schlock and Roll? Oh, that's I did not, oh, that's but I have great. to go find it now. Yeah, really. <laughs> he said he used to listen to Dr. Demento on the radio. And by the way, he credits Rick Dees for convincing him to become a radio DJ. Really? Wait, Carl's a DJ or? Yes, Carl is a DJ and ah. Rick Dees inspired him to become a DJ. Cool. Nice. Inspired by Disco Duck himself. and then another fourth listener also commented on the uh, novelty records backtrack mike via facebook said great episodes great memories but you knew there was a but coming (laughs) i kept waiting for a dickie goodman reference he was one of my favorites do you guys know dickie goodman no no sounds like somebody out of the caddyshack movie that got cut from the final edit of the film or something yeah i never did either I had to go and find out who this Dickie Goodman was. I have a little sample here. Take a listen. We are here on the beach where a giant shark has just eaten a girl swimmer. Well, Mr. Jaws, how was it? And what did she say when you grabbed her? I know sharks are stupid, but what did you think when you took that first bite? Mr. Jaws, before you swim out to sea, have you anything else to say? So that's Dickie Goodman. I pulled down his album, and so much of what he does is taking samples from other songs and do these faux interviews. You remember these, George? Yeah, I remember hearing this when I was a kid. I remember this was what first got me thinking about how you could edit things together to make them into something completely different. Yeah. I'm not saying I remember that specific clip, although I kind of think I remember that one. But <laughs> Really? Yeah. yeah. No, I remember that stuff, hearing that on the radio. Wow. His whole album is like that. So Mike went on to say, I even made my own novelty song to mimic his style called Election 76 when he was 10 years old <laughs> <laughs> by, by cutting in splice of songs on my cassette as I narrated about the Carter Ford election. Top that nerdiness. Go ahead, try. <laughs> I can't. No, I cannot. 
<laughs> Anytime you, that, you make something funny out of the Carter Ford election, you win. That's it. <sighs> you win. Yeah. You've, you've won the down. internet for that day. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-internet, he won the internet. Wow, that's impressive. So yeah, uh, that's why Dickie Goodman wasn't uh, on our Novelty Records backtrack because it wasn't on our radar. No, now it is. Now it is. So uh, I'm going to thank uh, both Carl and Mike for uh, chiming in on that backtrack. We always appreciate hearing from our fourth listener. And if you want to be heard, you can respond uh, on social uh, as Mike and Carl did, or you can hit us up on podcast at genxgrownup.com and we'll read your uh, message right here on the show. Without further ado, though, it's now time to dig into a backtrack topic that we have had on the list to do for a long time. Yeah. We are talking about bulletin board systems. Wow. Old BBSs, the way we explored other computers pre-internet. That sounded vaguely creepy just then. The way we explored (laughs) other computers. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, what are you doing here, dude? It it was kind of creepy. If you didn't know what it was about, if you weren't on the inside like we were, that had to seem really weird. Like you're on somebody else's computer. Yeah. What kind of hacker are you? (laughs) (laughs) This was before, I mean, pre-internet, obviously, but it used to be you got a computer and you sat it up on your desk and you hooked it up to your TV with one of those little Atari splitters. Right. And (laughs) the RF modulator. And you just sat and played whatever you had on a, a, you know, on a floppy disk. But with the introduction of bulletin board systems, that was the beginning of I can use my computer to reach out to other people, to other systems, to really expand what you can do on a PC that's led us to where we are in the internet culture today. Not only did it start it out, it was an entirely different experience. Do you remember the first time you dialed in to another computer with a modem? And I certainly do. I'll start and I'll say, though I don't remember the day, I remember there was a cloudy month in my memory where I first discovered I could use a modem to dial into some other system and send messages and do stuff. And I didn't come out of my room for probably (laughs) three weeks because it, it it was mind altering. It was boggling to me that what used to be this closed little system, I could now reach out at other human beings we're doing this other thing. It caused some problems that we'll talk about later, <laughs> but it just, it, it changed the way I thought about computers and the way I thought about the, how they could impact your life and culture and society that is obvious today, but wasn't back then. What about you, Mo? Do you remember the first time you were able to reach out and use a BBS? Yeah, I think it was, oh, wow. That's taking me back. I, I remember going out and just being just amazed at how there was this whole other pocket of information I now had access to, like this whole mm-hmm. other thing. Whereas before, everything was like just yeah. where I had my computer or what I had floppy disks for, that was it. Yeah. Or what you went and got or right. typed in out of a magazine or something. Yep. Now it's like, oh, wow, I could. Because I think one of the early uses I did for it was that uh, I think it was uh, Compute Magazine. Sure. Yep. They, they had like all that, you know, how you had to type in like a thousand lines of basic code to do like. Yeah, you could just go download now it. Now you go download it. <laughs> and I was right. like, oh. <gasps> I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. It'll never get better than this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I just that, that was the part that just amazed me, like somebody just having access to that information. George, how about you? Do you remember when you first used a BBS? I mean, I'm not going to say I have a specific memory. I have some generalized yeah visual cues, I guess. I remember it was definitely on a Commodore 64. The modem was one of the modems that you plugged into the back slot. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It had to be sometime around after 1985. We had moved away from the main part of the city over out into a farm area. So it was okay. even a different experience for me because I was way outside of the normal realm of contact with all my neighborhood friends, so to speak, and things. You were even nature. more isolated I than you had I was more isolated. Somebody at school, I just started going 
going to a new high school. They had a computer class. I went to that computer class freshman year and somebody mentioned this thing about bulletin boards and taught me how to use the software on the Commodore 64, gave me a phone number. And I remember logging in (laughs) and not knowing what in the heck I was looking at. What to expect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, a menu, a numbered menu on there and the name of the bulletin board and everything. And that was really cool. But I was still such a babe in the woods because I'd only ever used a Commodore 64 for playing a few games and trying to type in a bunch of 10 go to 20 you know, program type of stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The only part that I specifically remember was being super disappointed in my modem, not because of the speed, (laughs) but because it wasn't the TV style modem I had seen where you take the receiver and you put it down on the, it wasn't the war games games. And I was like, oh, this has just got two little ports where I plug phone cables into it. This is so boring. How antiseptic. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like we have a lot of good uh, memories and thoughts about our uh, early days with BBSs. So I can't wait to dig into that. And that's what we're going to do on the show right now. Thanks to my Atari telephone modem, my computer can call other computers and I can get information on practically anything. Look at this list. Acupuncture, adolescence, adoption, advice to the lovelorn. Everything is computerized these days. Bulletin board systems, BBSs dial-up computer systems, whatever you want to call them. They were BBSs to us. And George, you were just talking about your uh, disappointment with your yeah. your first modem. <laughs> right. You know, I remember my first modem was, uh, <laughs> you're going to be mad at me. It was what you expected. You had the War Games modem? The phone War Games Damn it. thing. An early 300 baud modem. And, and it, the quality of those, by the way, the reliability is pretty shaky. But yeah. the first one I had for a short time, your old rotary phone, you dialed the number, and then you put the receiver in these cups. You got to put the right way because one is sending, one's receiving. And that's how I first got onto a BBS for the first time. And, and you mentioned somebody has to give you a number. It's not like you just go online and search Google that doesn't yeah, exist. Right. Somebody's got to tell you the phone <laughs> number. Uh, I only used it for a short time because shortly after that, I got a true antiseptic, boring, plug it right into the uh, phone line the jack yeah. modem after it because it was so unreliable because of noise and stuff. It was right. kind of a bad experience. But as soon as I got addicted to wanting to do BBSs, I'm like, I got to get a better modem. Yeah. And so I did. <laughs> yeah. This is taking way <laughs> too long. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing we're talking about, like the bar rates. The reason why I ask is that was like, the baud rates were everything. Right. Sure. It determined which BBSs you could connect to. Mm-hmm. Yep. It said how fast you can get information. Long before CPU speed mattered. Yeah. You, it, it just, everything yeah. was slower than your CPU. CPU speed yeah. didn't matter. RAM didn't matter. Nope. It was all about baud yep. rate. And just to give you an example, like, I think one of the early ones I had was like a 2400 baud, which was pretty damn good at the time. Oh, yeah. That was time. a Cadillac yeah. compared to what I started yeah. with. Jeez. But still, though, yeah. to give you a comparison of how long the time difference is between then and now, I just sent you both a picture through my phone, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Let me know when you get it. Got it. Okay. Yep. You got it, right? <laughs> Do you know how long it would take you to get that same picture just downloading it at 2400 baud? Oh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I remember hours. the lines coming across the screen. Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> If it was a picture, you would watch it draw. Yeah, left yeah, to you right. you would watch the lines right. go across the screen. You would literally watch it like draw. Like somebody was on my computer and they were typing out this picture. Is this going to be Big Bird or Pamela Anderson? What the hell is this going to be? <laughs> oh, hopefully Pamela I see Anderson. feathers. It could be anything. <laughs> I mean, just imagine that. I mean, you literally got this picture in seconds. So both of you, two people got it in seconds. Whereas right. back yeah, then, yeah. it would take me two and a half hours just to upload it. 
And then another two and a half hours for you guys to grab for it. For me to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, you had the 300, which was, we all accepted as that's just how it is. Yeah. And the next thing I think came along was a 1200 baud modem, four times as fast. Are yep. you kidding me? Yeah, I think it jumps. Then they yeah. hopped up with the 24. Right. And then for the longest time, you know, a 14.4 modem was, oh, you're yeah, kidding? 14.4 oh is the best thing in the world. 14.4 was the gold standard. Yeah, you were the Cadillac yep. of modems, right? And then if you had like $1,000 to burn, oh, sure. you could get a Hayes 28.8 surfboard right. modem that was, are you kidding me? Was that actually 28 or was that two 14.4s that ran parallel or something like that? Nope, they had, no, it was it a 28.8. 28. It was 28, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. But if you got too far ahead, many BBSs couldn't afford those or they would have high speed right. lines because it, it wasn't like the internet we could connect and it'll go as fast as it'll go. They had to have a modem on their end that could send it that yeah, fast yep. or didn't do yeah, a bit of good. Well, and the phone companies were playing catch up because their technology was 100 years old as far as the wiring and everything else is concerned. The boards in their houses, they were having to upgrade and replace all of that stuff in a much faster time frame than the phone companies were used to having to do before. Before, all they had to do was let's make sure person A can talk to person B. Now it's computer A wants to talk to 17 other computers. We have a demand. People want to pay us for it. We have to yep. put the equipment in place for them to be able to do that. It's a completely different world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And even at the bleeding edge of that, you know, just the start of it, I always imagined phone companies were being asked to put phone jacks in places that they would never have been asked <laughs> to put phone jacks in people's houses before. Sure. Because before you had a phone central to the house in mm-hmm. the living room or dining room. Why the hell are people calling us asking to put a phone jack in this back office, you know, <laughs> or in this bedroom or whatever. Well, because people wanted to use modems for the first time. It was changing technology, not just the computer technology, but the infrastructure. And then multiple lines into a house. That was something that wasn't done. Oh, yeah. I remember specifically, you talked about our first experiences getting on a bulletin board. One of my first things of having to deal with was fighting my parents for use of the single phone line into the house. Of course. Yep. And the thing yep. is that still amazed me this day, though, is that how... All that stuff worked and it was all basically analog, right? It was all literally sending sounds and tones Entirely, yeah. through the phone yep. line. Mm-hmm. Yep, right. It wasn't digital. It somehow it, worked. Just, just the noises oh, and yeah. the, you know, all those crazy. I mean, even even younger people today who remember dial-up internet at least, they that same sound that you heard dialing up with your modem and those screeching noises, that's the same, that's negotiating yeah. a modem, the same mm-hmm. sound that we always heard, just not dialing an ISP. You know, you were on the thing and you just said taking a picture is two hours. You tied up the right. phone that long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you might be, you know, 70, 80% done and somebody picks up the phone to make a call and you're like, yeah. damn it, yep. you've ruined the, it, it, it would destroy the entire connection. You have to start over. Yeah. Yep. And hopefully yep. you'd be lucky and you'd be on a local phone number. Yeah. Well, first you have to fight about right. it. <laughs> right. Not like a long distance one because <laughs> yeah. you know, there's no local BBSs that, you know, could do this. We've talked about the tech that gets you into that. Let's really talk about what was it that a BBS would allow you to do? I mean, let's start at the base level for someone that only has known the internet. Maybe I've a younger listener who didn't know BBSs and they take for granted that I turn on my computer as long as it's online or on Wi-Fi, I have access to everything. We started from zero. Yeah. We had access to nothing. Mm-hmm. And when you first connected to something, it opened up a world of stuff that was brand new to us. What sort of things could you do for the first time on a BBS that we had never seen? Well, the first thing I remember is just mostly file access because the early BBSs mm-hmm. you would get in and it'd just be like a directory. Your yeah. compute programs, yeah. right? And you could download it. It had little folders and you just kind of would navigate down and all through commands 
command line suit. I wasn't very visual. There was no graphics. Yeah, this was all command line. And so you can actually find And prior things. to that, the only way you got those yeah. files was you bought them from a store or somebody gave them to you, you know, sneaker net. They right. walked them over to you yeah. and you plugged it in. <laughs> That's the only way you got it. Yeah. But now I could get something that it's ready to go. It's already typed in or it's already pirated or whatever it is. And I can take it off the air and get it into my computer. That was a whole new way. Oh, absolutely. Communication in general was just the ability to have little message boards where people would just talk to you. I remember the first time doing it, it took me a couple of times of going through the menus to understand that what I'm seeing was not like a book someone wrote of people talking to each other. It was actually like a living- It's, It's an evolving discussion. Someone dialed in and had a comment, and then later you come back and somebody else had a comment. Up until then, I read documents that were completed. Yeah. And I'm reading through this, and I'm like, these guys are arguing, but why is that an interesting story? Well, it's not a story. It's really people talking in real time or as close to real time as you could get. So message boards, that was a brand new experience for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Message boards were key because there was usually a general message board, but then they got really granular a lot of times too, like topics of conversation. You'll see that now, a games message board or a romantic message board. First time I saw that just Mm -hmm. blew my little 15 year old mind like, wow. What's you going on here? Nearly Tinder. Screw the football one. Those were completely unique to the experience of being online and interacting with a much wider community than you could in person. Yeah. Before you had that happen, you just had what our parents' generations and the generations before that, the closest you would get to interacting with people would be talking about a radio program or a TV show that you saw the night before. Now you were sharing an active experience with each other in a much larger scope than you would be just sitting in front of your television and then at the water cooler the next day at work talking about what did Archie Bunker say to Edith last night? I'd say one thing I thought about it was that it connected you to people for those topics that were very specific. If you happen to be into airplane plastic models right, or something mm-hmm. like that, yep. you could find a community now where people talk about that. And there were some that were, the whole bulletin board was dedicated toward that, right? I mean- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was like enthusiasts. So it was like early Reddit almost, I guess I would call it. Yeah. You know, ironically, you know, I was often accused by my parents, you know, stop playing with the computer, get outside and socialize. And I'm like, I'm socializing more now than I ever knew how before. <laughs> it's a different form. It's not in person. It, it totally is. Yeah. yeah. It, it clearly is not the same thing as face-to-face interaction, which I cannot over overestimate is important to nurture that skill. <laughs> yeah. But this was something that was unprecedented. They didn't realize that I was actually able to talk to other. If they knew I was talking to other people, they might have told me to turn it off. But <laughs> it was <laughs> <That's> uh, true. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Uh, and then shortly after it got beyond just raw text of, of stuff like that, they started to add some games. And initially they were just text-based games, mm-hmm. but they started to use, you know, some characters to hop in it. You could play real-time little games like a Space Invader game, which was tough with the baud rate. Yeah, I, in the early stages, those real-time games never worked real well for me, but the games no, that no. were turn-based, like chess yep. or some style mm-hmm. of a D&D adventure storytelling Battleship, thing. I played a lot of Battleship, Battleship online. Yeah. Those games were very successful. Yeah, do you guys remember the old Star Trek game? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep, where yep. it had like this, basically it was a little grid and like yep. asterisks were stars and your ship and was you can a move different around. symbol. Yep. Yep. And you, told, you basically gave commands, move here, you know, warp three here. 
a lot of those types of games weren't even the interactive where you were playing with or against another person. Those were just, you were dialing in and playing a single player game, but the chess and the battleship and those games, you were actually playing with another person who for all you knew could have been in a completely different part of the world. But back then just the thought of, Oh my goodness, this person is in Japan we can play the game together. Mind blowing. I'm so happy that as a civilization and as a society, we progressed all the way through those stages. And I was a part of those early stages because it gives me an appreciation for where we are at now. Just to be there to see it evolve and yeah, yeah it's creation. Yeah, yeah. As time went on, some of those BBSs even evolved into what I think you could argue is an was an early version of HTTP. You know, so when the internet mm-hmm. came along in the late '80s, early '90s, and there was it was all text based as well, but you started to add hypertext protocol that allow you to have images. Uh, there were some front ends for some BBSs that weren't text anymore. Right. They weren't ASCII or ANSI. It was actually drawing images. Remember those? Yeah. There were yeah. local bulletin board systems that people would run on their local computers, just like the original bulletin board systems that had GUI graphical user interface systems. The very first one I remember, John, you brought me into the world of Amiga in the early 90s when we first met. You betcha. Right? Yep. And Amiga was renowned for its graphics capability. Everybody knows, you know, Mac now is the thing. Uh Everybody's like, oh, you want to draw, you want to create videos, you want to do music, you go get a Mac. Amiga was it. Amiga was the thing. But the first GUI BBS that I ever logged into was an Amiga BBS. And it was, I think it was like Amiga Now or Amiga Forever or something like that. It was called being able to use that mouse to click on something. Instead of dumbing it down for the BBS, it was able to actually use all the tools you had. Yeah. And the thought that you were clicking something on your screen that activated a command (laughs) on another computer somewhere else. And then gave you a reaction back like the button would turn red or you would go into a game or into a message room. I know, yeah. I just being amazed by that by today's standard sounds naive, sure. but it was totally unprecedented before. Yeah. Yeah. In a world of like, oh, text and use my arrow keys to move around or just type a letter A through Z to pick whatever's on the screen. That was not something that you ever interacted with. They're like, is this a program? Is this running on my computer, on their computer? The answer was both. It was yeah. <laughs> the first time you'd tied all that together. Quality Inns uses Hayes modems to send reservations from computer to computer to more than 700 hotels. Imagine the doors Hayes can open for your business. Hayes, innovative products for enterprising people. Could you use a helping hand on your next electronics project? Quad Hands is the ultimate third-hand helping hands vice and hobby station. The first thing you'll notice is how heavy a quad hands is. It's made from solid steel and then coated with a baked-on powder coat for a durable finish. And the rubber feet are going to keep it from sliding on your bench and give you a nice, sturdy work surface. Those flexible all-metal gooseneck arms feature rotating alligator clips to hold your boards and wires firmly in place. And removable silicone covers come pre-installed on those clips to protect those delicate wires and boards. And those arms can be put anywhere you need them, no fumbling around with awkward joints that are difficult to position. The Quad Hands was designed to help you do your best work. It's built to last right here in the USA and backed by a lifetime guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Order yours today from Amazon or quadhands.com. Gen X Grown Up podcast listeners can save 20%. Just use offer code GENXUP20. That's G-E-N-X-U-P-2-0. For your next project, let a quad hands hold what your hands create. We've talked about what BBS has opened up in the world to us and kind of the hardware and the tech. Let's now dig into the real meat of it, which was the experience. 
and, and not just the using the BBS, the whole experience of how did you find out about the BBS? You know, how did you deal with it in your home? And you mentioned a little bit already, George, that word of mouth mm-hmm. reference system. You know, since there's no Google, how do you even know there's a BBS? Yeah. Now I know subsequent ones you find out one BBS advertises right, five for more. Another. Right. But you gotta have an entry vector. What's the gateway drug? You know? It's always <laughs> I mean, for me, it was somebody at my local high school computer class. It was, you know, one of the kids in the class. And of course they were in the know because it was a computer class and I was just a dumb jock coming into the class for the first time. (laughs) Them saying, oh yeah, there's this cool, like they were doing it on the computer there in the high school because there were no regulations. High schools didn't know to block that stuff at that point or anything. They had, yeah, right. They had modems. They might as well use them. Unprecedented. Yeah. So he's like, oh, here's this thing. It's called a bulletin board system. I'm like, we have bulletin boards in the classroom. They're right over there. Why do you need a computer to put a push pin in something? I didn't understand what he was talking about. Sure. Why would you? For like the next 30 minutes, showed me everything on the bulletin board system, explained to me how to use it. So immediately I took the phone number down, went home, logged in, created the account. And it wasn't an easy account creation process back then either. No, not like it is now. (laughs) But yeah, word of mouth. I mean, that's how you would find out about those things. Yeah. And then when you finally got a BBS, you you dial it up and more often than not, what was the sound you heard? It's busy. Yep. (laughs) And these days, I mean, I think a busy signal is even unheard of now. I mean, nobody knows. No busy yeah, signal I know anymore. people that don't know what a busy signal is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if a busy signal comes on a phone, the whole societies break down now. They just like, what the hell is this? I can't yeah. leave a it's voicemail. It's either ring or voicemail. Yeah. You have two chances, ring or voicemail. There's no busy, no such thing. I still remember having that the software that, you know, you could put like three or four numbers in and it would try them in succession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. It was like, oh, busy. We call those war one. dialers. Yeah. Because yep. <laughs> otherwise it's like, you know, you're sitting there just taking forever just to get, and once you get a connection, you don't want to lose it. Because you may not be able to get it again. Well, that was just like in war games. Matthew Broderick, you know, he's running down that list of numbers. Oh, look, it's a bank. Got to make a note of that one. You know, just testing yep. stuff sometimes. So you're touching right on that, which is that so BBSs are not often were not conglomerates. It was a guy mm-hmm. in his house with a <laughs> yeah. modem hooked up to his phone and he just had a modem. And if you wanted to get on that BBS, you had to catch it when it wasn't busy. Oh, you know. I'm going to get up at two in the morning because it's easy to get on this, you know, that kind of thing. But not only did you have to catch it when it wasn't busy, do you remember that a lot of bulletin boards actually had times of operation? They weren't operating 24 hours right, a day. Right, because That's they true, wanted to yeah. use their phone for other you know, business hours or whatever. Yeah, because at sure. some point their mom needed the phone and they had to get off. Yeah. <laughs> their mom needed the phone. <laughs> That's exactly you know, right. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're probably not wrong. And unlike today where you'd go to one website, I'm going to go to Google, I'm going to go to you know MSN, I'm going to go to you know wherever, what you would do is you would hop from bulletin board to bulletin board to do different things. Mm-hmm. I play this game here. I talk to these people here. Right. And so you'd put them in a rotation. If this one's busy, you try the next one. That one's busy, you try the next one just to try to get in. And then you come across one that had, oh, they have three lines. Well, they must be in the Taj Mahal, these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and that literally meant they had three phone, phone lines, lines coming yeah. in their house they were paying for. And those are three physical phone lines. That's the thing. It just still blows me away. No, no. They're not just ports open on the modem. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is three phone lines. Uh, some of them invited you to donate or have a subscription mm-hmm. basis to have more access or more 
time to help pay them for that. But some people were just fanatics about it. And I use that term lovingly. I don't mean that negatively. They were fanatics about the hobby. And they said, you know what? I'm going to pay extra because the nice thing about running a BBS for them probably was the information is coming to them. They can log in locally anytime and be right. part of it. But right. yeah, it was limited. I, I think we, we've talked a little bit in the past about how because this was kind of a wild west and people didn't know to regulate it like it was on the uh, in the school, like you said, George, there was a bit of a trust factor you had to have because these sources were just random, unseen, faceless entities telling you things now on your computer. Yeah, this was the ultimate form of stranger danger back in our day. This was long, <laughs> long before you had verification systems and I am not a human or I am a robot or whatever the hell those things have you do now. You didn't have any mm-hmm. of that stuff. It was just somebody gave me this phone number. I'm going to walk down Nocturne Alley instead of Diagon Alley and I'm going <laughs> to open this door to this world. Well, that was a seriously geeky reference, I have to say. <laughs> I liked it. Good Did stuff. You get like five geek points for that one. I get five I geek points. Yeah, bonus nice. points. Yeah, yeah but, you do. You know, you think about all the stuff that you could do and learn and discover on these bulletin board systems, but you had to have an innate trust built in to what you were getting through that phone line was authentic and real and not harmful. John, you and I very early on in our Amiga days, early nineties, I don't know if you remember this, but it's a story that I love to tell younger people when they ask me questions about old technology. (laughs) Well, back in the day, (laughs) back in the day, there was a bulletin board that you and I would frequent. We found some instructions on the bulletin board that told us how to increase the memory on our hard memory wired Amiga computers. I know what you're talking about. You downloaded it, you printed it out. And I'm going to let you run with it from there. Amiga had two types of memory, a chip memory and fast memory. And the more chip memory you have, think of it in today's, it's like the difference between a solid state drive and a regular traditional platter hard drive. Chip memory was much, much faster. In our model of computer, it had, you know, like it had 512 megs of chip. They said, hey, you know, (laughs) if you, this document we got said. Well, no, it wasn't even, it was 512 kilobytes. It wasn't megs yet. I'm sorry, 512K, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's a lot. So this document said, hey, you know, if you open up your computer and you'll get you an X-Acto knife and you'll cut these specific solder traces. Yep. And then solder this other one. You actually did this? It'll move. It'll give you double a full meg of chip memory. You'll get a full meg of chip memory. (laughs) And you trusted this and did it? Well, we... We trusted it enough to try it. Yeah, yeah. we did. <laughs> Wait, whose Amigas you tried it on? Well, I made sure we tried it on John's first. <laughs> we did. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be damned if it didn't work exactly as advertised. Yep. These guys knew their way around. It wasn't just somebody trolling you, you know, telling you you could fast charge your cell phone by putting it in the microwave. It was actually good factual information. <laughs> and it worked. Well, and I think back then the point is that At that point in early internet computing history, there was more altruism in those systems than there was negative, harmful trolls kind of thing going on. Well, the only people that were on those systems at the beginning were hobbyists who were enthused to be there. They were only there because they loved what they were doing. They weren't there to say, who can I screw with? So yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's what the big part of that trust factor was back then. It was everybody wanted to increase and grow this new environment or this new community in a completely different way than you would expect it to happen now. Now, if somebody puts up a new service, you're 
expectation is what are they trying to get from me back then here comes the hackers yeah what's the ulterior motive right well i mean back then though also remember that it took effort to find these bbs's to connect to them it wasn't like you could casually do it. Sure. Which I think when things became more casual, that's when you get a huger increase of assholes. Well, because it's easier for them to mess with you, right? Yeah, it's yeah. easier for them to yeah. screw people. Well, luckily, the, the bully assholes didn't have the wherewithal to know how to get on the BBS, yeah. so there weren't as many of them out there. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what it was. Just me. Yeah, except for George. <laughs> Just you. <laughs> Just the one jock who got transitioned right. over. <laughs> This is a modem, and with it, you can turn your computer into a window on the world. How? Well, we'll find out today as we take a look at modems and bulletin boards on this edition of the Computer Chronicles. Do you guys remember some of the really, how should I phrase this, uh, unique usernames <laughs> that, we, that we used back then? Yeah, I think I still use mine. You never use your real name, ever. <laughs> I still use the one I used back then, 1990. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, nobody else uses it, so it's almost always available. <laughs> it's not for whatever reason. There's a specific reason nobody uses that nickname hardly ever. It's a terrible <laughs> nickname. It, it's There's nothing good involved with the nickname whatsoever. That's why nobody else uses it. I just embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> this was before you had to like tag a number onto the end of everything. People mm-hmm. just came up with weird creative creative because uh, often these are closed systems that oh, maybe only had a few hundred users. Yep. But you try not to use your real name because you want people to know who you are. Yeah. Mo, do you remember what kind of usernames you would use back then? Oh, geez. I mean, the problem with having my last name, <laughs> which is, it makes, you definitely don't want to use that yeah, because yeah. everybody in yeah, there, so, you know, but I mean, we used my name, my dog, we used, because <laughs> every BBS required a different one also. Like there was a different login for each one. Right. Right. Yeah. And you had to keep track of those too, right? Like yeah, you exactly. had to write yeah, down paper. We used to write down, like, for this one, I'm so-and-so, and here's the password. For or, this bulletin board, this username, and this password. Yep. yep. There was no password management systems then. Really. No. Just put it, it on a, a post-it note, pretty much. I still have my original list of passwords on something that it's written down on. I still have that product. You're a hoarder. No, it's the yeah. top of my comic book box. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes underneath sense. my desk, right. and that's where I wrote everything, because it was at. just there, and I still have that same comic book box. I remember a lot of times the username that I would use like I, I was why would I pick a username I'd never done that before except for like maybe I named a character in Ultima 3 right yep. but then I just called it I just called it John I didn't care so uh, when I was first asked for for uh, for a username for a nickname uh, I didn't know what to use and so I used my dad's CB handle oh <laughs> So I figured he'll never be on here. Right. So on a lot of bulletin boards, I was Bushwhacker because that was <laughs> his CD handle. Oh, that is a great name. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. It took a long time before I had to become Bushwhacker 2 or Bushwhacker <laughs> 1969 or anything. But I used that one Once a lot. Once the WWF wrestling team got together, then all of a sudden John was yeah, screwed. Yeah, then you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody mentioned earlier, too, another... Uh, problem that was existed in all of phones back then that isn't a problem anymore is that you would often incur long distance charges. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my parents now, You wouldn't do it by one. accident. Mm. You knew you were dialing. You knew it wasn't a seven-digit number. You knew you were dial, dialing a 10-digit number. I have memories of causing problems for myself with this. You guys <laughs> ever run into problems? Yeah, I'll say I did. I actually emptied my parents' bank account yeah. oh, completely. Crap. Yeah. It was when I first moved from <laughs> Florida to California. We had an internet service provider here in Florida. They had, as part of their service, they had an 800 number system 
that you could use when you were traveling. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because this was on the very edge of the internet service provider era. Now, they had it written in all their pamphlets and advertising media and everything that there was no charge for these. Great. Right. So when I moved to California, I don't have an ISP right away. It's going to take me some time to get all that stuff set up. Plus, I don't have a job. So I asked mom and dad, I said, hey, can I continue to use this service? I know you guys won't really use it, but I can use the 800 number from California. Won't be any charge. Well, turns out that they hadn't been exactly <laughs> truthful or they hadn't thought things through. They didn't realize, I guess, how much they were going to be charged for people using this 800 number. Ah. So they started charging people on the sly because they had everybody's bank account numbers because you were paying monthly on automatic charges. Oh, man. Oh. So in one That's month of good. using it in California, they emptied $7,000 out of my parents' bank Whoa. account. Holy crap. Yep. Shit. Yep. <laughs> And this is in 1999. How are you still alive? Well, <laughs> number one, I was on the other coast, so they couldn't get to me to kill me. And they didn't have enough money to pay a hitman because I just emptied out $7,000. <laughs> but they eventually, they took that company to small claims court. The bank put all the money back in their account right away. And the bank and wow. then beat the company. The company ended up having to file bankruptcy and went out of business very quickly. But those long distance charges are no joke. You know, yeah. and, and he, that was almost by accident. I mean, I incurred some fit charges on purpose. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You thought you were using an 800 number. I remember, you know, being 11, 12 years old and I'm like, all these BBSs are busy. I want to get on a BBS. Yeah. This other one is just a county away. Mm, I'll hop on right? it for a second. And you get on and, and it takes time and the modem is slow. And next thing you know, you're on it for a half an hour. Yep. And the phone bill comes and it's several hundred dollars. And it's like, <laughs> what are you doing on the computer? What is costing all this money? I got a stern talking to. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. The bushwhacker had something to say about uh, what I was doing. <laughs> the real bushwhacker. Yeah, the real one. Oh, but uh yeah. I, I, one of the nice things about living in New York was that there were a lot of BBSs around. I mean, they were everywhere. Oh, sure. You know, Big city mo here. Uh, yeah. You know, they're all mostly yeah. local. But there were some that were pretty, I don't know, I guess underhanded back then where they were like, you think it's local, but you're not. Oh, really? Yeah. That'd be sneaky that. Because yeah, New they, York they has different area funky... codes maybe or something? Or Back then, actually, they didn't. But okay. it was, uh, you could dial a number like, and it, uh, I'm going to put this. It's like you had to put the area code in and it, Basically, it was a different charge rate than if you called like directly borough to borough. Huh. It was weird. But you think it's a local number. Next, you know, you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got charged $50. Then you get your bill. And you're like, yeah. uh-oh. <laughs> and of course, explain that one to my dad wasn't easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially, he's like, what were you doing? And really, I had nothing to show for it. So right. I was like, ah. Right, you did. So, well, you know that thing I could have typed in myself? I downloaded it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you only had to pay $50 Look, for that. Yeah. Look, my Commodore 64 now plays this tune. <laughs> Yay. Talk about trying to get your quarries out of something. There's no way. Yeah, <laughs> right. I have to play for the next 50 hours. There was an experience that I had toward the, I would say toward the beginning of the internet era, but toward the end of BBSs, where uh, through BBSs, I met some other Amiga users who enjoyed, how will I put this? They enjoyed acquiring software nefariously. Okay. Uh, and Public uh, domain. <laughs> You know, th- that's the way Amiga was toward the end of the life of Amiga. There was no Amiga software to be found commercially in the United States. So the only way you got it was to get pirated software because right. nobody would sell it short of you, you know, ordering something from Europe and waiting, you know, three weeks for it to get there if you're lucky and paying all these, you know, import fees. We got all of our software off of BBS. Yep. It really, we did. 
But, you know, each disc was 880K, which takes a long time to download. Oh, my God. And so I ran into these guys. They had a club set up. Somebody had bought one of those super fast 28.8 modems. Mm -hmm. What they would do is they would pass it around month to month to a different person. And they would say, all right, person A, you're taking the modem this month. You're going to incur the long distance fees to download all the new games that come out on this long distance, sometimes overseas BBS. Oh my, I can't imagine what that costs. Then get together with a meeting. You'd have a, a disc copy party and you'd pass the modem to the next guy. And the next month, he would be the guy that would download all the stuff and incur all the long distance fees and meet up at the next party. Jeez. And one month I got in on this. Holy cow. The good news was I got a bunch of free software at the copy swap party. The bad news was, as a student in college, <laughs> I did run up a $635 Ooh. long distance bill <laughs> that took me quite a while to pay off. <laughs> so in hindsight, was it worth it? <laughs> it? You know, it's a story I can tell. So in hindsight, it's fine. <laughs> you know, there were people I'd never met. And it was like trust factor, George. It's like they trust. They handed mm -hmm. me the modem that probably cost him a grand and said, go ahead, guy, we just met. Go download stuff this month. We hope we'll see you next month to get our modem back. And they did. <laughs> you could have just taken off. I could have, but I was too and tried one of the software. I'm going to come back and get free games, you know. So yeah, that was an experience. But before we get out of this whole experience of using BBSs, I've got to ask, any of you ever run a BBS yourself? I never have. Yes, sir. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about your experience running a BBS. On that original Commodore 64 with that 300 baud modem and two 1541 disk drives, I ran a bulletin yeah. board that I in, that I titled Games People Play, and it was mostly dedicated <laughs> toward messaging. No, games. But <laughs> it was just, you know, I collected um, a piece of software from somebody at school that would help you to run the bulletin board. I didn't write it myself. Sure. I opened up some of the modules. I found some modules and some other bulletin boards that I could download and add to my bulletin board. And so every night starting at, I believe it was like 9 p.m., I could let this thing run until about 4 or 5 a.m. the next morning. Now, the first night I tried it, I forgot to turn the ringer off on all the phones in the house. So <laughs> mom and dad weren't real happy. They were pleased with that. Yeah. But after that, I remembered that every night, go around, turn off all the ringers on all the phones and then start plugging in your modem, turning on the bulletin board. And it was so fun to just sit in front of my computer and, and watch, watch people. people log in. That was neat. Yeah. Yep. Watch where they were yep. going, see what modules they were interacting with and say, okay, well, nobody is playing chess. Let me take chess down and I'll pull it up battleship or whatever. And something else. It was so much fun to be in that big brother kind of watching things roll and helping people to enjoy their computer experience. I loved it. It was fun. How long did you let that run? Like about a year, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. About a year, yeah. year and a half. It was, it was a ton of fun. That's pretty good. I ran one off of my Atari probably about the same time for maybe less than a year. Probably I had my, my little, I think a 2,400 baud modem and I had a daisy chain of, I don't know, I had four or five disk drives, I think. Yep. And it was called that Dern BBS is what I called it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was really, it was just an experiment. You know, some of the coolest things for me, like you said, that big brother aspect was people would dial in, they'd be poking around. Sometimes the sysop would drop in mm -hmm. and it would say sysop has taken over. And it's you there like chatting with him in real time because often BBSs were not real time. Like right, you said, the only you real dialed time in, you really do, you sent right? a message. Yeah. But that was the one time you were talking in real time to a real person, you know, sysop has 
just dropped in, you know, control and you would chat and then they would say, oh, did you find this area? Don't forget you can do this or introduce them to a new game. And then you drop out and watch them play it. Kind of voyeuristic, I guess, a but bit, in a, you know, know, kind of techie, nerdy kind of way. But it's more like you were kind of more interested in what people were doing, not you're trying to spy on a particular person, right? Yeah. And they're using my computer, so I should be able to watch, right? So, <laughs> that should okay. be expected, right? Yeah, absolutely. My parents have showed me how to get streaming video over the internet. My dad showed me this cool real-time radio station online. Matt, what's the matter? It's my parents. They still have a 28.8 modem. Drawn and Paneled is a brand new comic book-focused podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Hey, I'm George. And I'm Jason. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love. And we cover everything from the golden age to the modern age. If you're a comic book fan who enjoys going beyond the page to learn about the history and creators who bring the characters to life, we're for you. You can find Drawn and Paneled wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at Gen X Grown Up. Com. Talk to you guys soon. Well, like any good thing, you know, these kind of homegrown grassroots BBSs that we all first had experiences with, uh, it's not going to stay that way. People are going to find that, uh, hey, this is a money-making venture. So we started to find, I mentioned some multi-line BBSs started cropping up. Sure. People, you know, either invite you to donate or sometimes would mandate a charge for you to access. Understandable. It does cost money. Yeah. Some of the bigger corporations latched onto this. It grew into things that became powerhouses. Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. I mean, we saw evidence of this in like, I don't know if you guys remember the TV show that just finished airing like last year, Halt and Catch Fire. Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah. yeah like the last season was them running a multi-line BBS in the beginnings of <laughs> the internet. That's how those things transition from multi-line BBSs that were regional groups, possibly, into the giant corporations that just kind of came in and said, oh, look, these guys are making money. Let's crush them under our feet and take over nationally. One of the first ones that I remember was CompuServe. Yeah. Yep. It was kind of very corporate and straight-laced, as I remember CompuServe being. It was pretty much all text-based, but it was a global, you know, tons and tons of access numbers. Never get a busy signal. Right. That's not true, but that's what they advertised. And it they had little areas that you could go into that's specific to, well, you know, I'm a Commodore user, an Atari user, a DOS user, or whatever. They didn't even have games initially. It seemed like really like file access and messaging was their big thing. Of course, they added them. The thing that they added, though, is like these multi-line you know, these copy servers and AOLs and stuff is that you actually did have some real time chatting, like at least as far as bulletin boards. Because like, it was so many sure, multiple lines. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which was new. You go to real chat room. That was new. No kidding. Yeah, chat rooms. That's right. That was kind of the first big thing that really drove those companies around were the chat rooms, right? Yeah, that's right. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, another one that I got onto even back in my Atari days was Genie. Remember Genie? Oh, yeah. I don't think I do remember Genie. Genie was an acronym. It was General Electric. No way. Really? Their stuff? Oh, okay. General Electric Network for Information Exchange. G-E-N-I-E is Genie. Yep. Huh. Okay. And that was around the same time as CompuServe, but Genie was... I don't know how long I used it. It was a pay service, but I, I used the free trials as you would always do. Sure, yeah. And, and, and nobody is the bigger king of free trials than the, the powerhouse of these, which was AOL. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Coaster Company. Okay, how many of those discs did you get from them? Yeah, the Coaster Company. That's what you yeah, said. Exactly. I would take their discs yeah. and they would be great coasters. Those things were awesome. They would. Because they sent you so freaking many. Yep. Yeah. It was like every day in the mail, you get another free trial. Did you guys like see how many different logins you can try to do to get the free trial as long as possible? No, I only did one AOL account ever. And that was just so I could use AIM 
other than that, I never really used AOL. I, I never dialed into AOL. I went right from BBSs to kind of a uh, the a free version of the internet for our local library. Right. But anybody who doesn't know BBSs or they're you know not familiar with the experience, if you saw AOL, take AOL. It is the supermarket of BBSs compared to what was the corner store of old BBSs. It really was AOL just a giant is BBS. Walmart of BBSs. Yeah, it was just a giant, giant, giant bulletin board system initially. Yep. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, and their chat rooms you talked about, I remember AOL, a lot of their claim to fame is they would do real-time chats Right. With celebrities. They would bring in celebrities. Oh, that's right. I say, about that. We're going to have a chat with this guy from this show or this author or this musician, and you could talk with him in real time. Or you had to assume you were talking with him. Yeah, because there wasn't any graphics to show you the person nope. like on a video feed or anything. It was just their name, and you were assuming, oh, that's got to be Dirk Benedict or whoever the hell it was. Right. Just <laughs> take their word for it. <laughs> I remember one of the few times I logged into AOL, actually, we had had, uh, George, you mentioned our sci-fi uh, Star Trek fan club. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, the guests who was at a local convention was running late to be on an AOL chat room, and they came to my house to log into AOL to do the celebrity chat. Really? Oh, when we were when we had the conventions here in in town, you mean? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So so there was a there was a minor B player Star Trek actor who came to my house to log in and do their AOL chat because they couldn't get back to their hotel in time. Yep, that <laughs> happened. I mean, it's appropriate that we've gotten to AOL here because I would hazard to say that AOL was probably for a lot of people the gateway to what is now the internet. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they try to make it accessible. That was their big thing. You know, yeah, they were the big evil empire kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'd be where we are today without them. Well, no, because they honest. actually got our parents' generation to accept that this was a real thing. With the commercials on TV, mm-hmm. on public network, they eventually bought Time Warner even. I mean... Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. AOL was so big, they bought Time Warner. Yeah, they yep. they brought credibility to what became the internet, and that's what allowed our parents to fund us when we needed extra money. Cause you know, for me, I was college age at that time. So I made my own money, but I still needed a little extra help now and again from the parents. Sure. If I wanted something internet based, they would never have given it to me unless I could explain to them, Oh, it's this thing for AOL kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get it. Yeah. And I will say AOL kind of nefariously, they tried very hard to make you think they were the internet. Sure. Yeah. They hit a lot of <laughs> internet functions behind AOL facades for a long time. Mm-hmm. And people kind of thought AOL was the internet and you couldn't get the internet without it. Uh, and I guess that's good marketing on their end, but you know, ultimately that that couldn't keep up forever. People figured out that they hey. are not the lone and sole gatekeeper. Yeah. But I got to give them credit. They certainly did mainstream it and popularize it. Yeah, I think it. when I'll, they I'll started to that. run into problems was when they got in a lot of controversial trouble for blocking access to different sites that they didn't want people yes. to go to. Yep. Right. Yep. Because the internet yep. was supposed you to be this free thing. It's supposed to be open mm-hmm. to everybody. And that definitely went counter to that. If Jurassic Park taught me anything, it's that life will find a way. Yeah. <laughs> we want to get to those sites. We're going to find a way to get there. We're going to bypass AOL. You know, that might have been uh, shooting themselves in the foot. If you're going to block me from getting to something I want, I'm going to find a way to get to it. And once I do that, well, now I figured you it have out. taught me a yeah. way to get there. Right. I don't need you now. <laughs> yeah, but I'll give them credit where credit is due. They certainly did uh, play a part in uh, transitioning us into what we now appreciate as the uh, the global internet. It's a web thing. The interwebs come a long way from <laughs> putting my rotary phone into that little cup. I'll tell you that. And having to dial, <laughs> actually physically dial a number. Boop boop beep boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> that noise. <laughs> 
America Online introduces new version 4.0. There has never been a better time to get online. The easiest just got easier. Instant messages. I can customize my email. My niece sent me a picture. If you have a phone line, you can be online. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we've put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We'd love to hear from our fourth listener, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other episode to podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is so much more than just this podcast. You can also find our video content on YouTube or explore our entire body of work on our website at genxgrownup.com. That is a look back at the world of bulletin board systems, BBSs from our youth. And real quickly, I'm going to ask you, do you miss it, George? Do you miss BBSs? Yeah, I think a little bit I do. It's not one of those things that you can go back and put an emulator up and experience and it still be as fun like a game no, you might can't. be. You can't, you no, know, you can yeah. emulate an old arcade game, but emulating a BBS it just loses some of that nostalgia, I would think. But I do miss it a little bit. I know there are people that still run things like FidoNet is still out there and Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, different things like that. But yeah, I kind of miss it a little bit. How about you, Mo? The part I miss about it, I think is just that it was uh when it first started anyway, it was a very I hate to say use this word, but nurturing environment. Like you said, people would sit there and they wanted to help you yeah. figure things out. They did. That's a true. Yep. And uh, whereas today, you know, like you said, it, I, and also I guess back then too, like when you were one of these BBS people, you were part of that kind of almost like a community that not everybody was part of. Like a little secret club almost. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And yep. you knew how to yep. do certain things that other people couldn't do. Yeah. And so that part of aspect of it I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. George, I think you summed it up pretty well when you said you really can't emulate it. We talked about arcades a few backtracks ago where you said, yeah, you can play the games again, but you can't get the experience of the arcade back because that's just gone. Right. And BBSs are like that. Yeah, you can launch the BBS software, you could dial in and you could mess around and play that game, but you know that there's not going to be somebody waiting to dial in right behind you to do it also, because there's so many other avenues to do it. Uh, so I, I kind of miss the uh, the village experience, the, the yeah. smaller little tribal part of BBSs, but I, I like where we are now. You know, I think uh, I'm glad I was there for it. I'm glad I didn't I miss out back. on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to go back. I want to go back. Well, miss it or not, it's definitely a part of our uh, Gen X youth growing up that uh, we are the better for, I think, and so is society and the interwebs in general. Yeah. (laughs) It's been fun looking back on it. I am John. George, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, sir. And Mo, always appreciate you. Always fun. And fourth listener, we appreciate you most of all, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye, everybody. No life, no fun. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? No games, no This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. Mo, are you still there? I'm sorry about that. I was uh, I was blowing my nose, so I hit it on mute. Sorry. Okay. All right. I'm back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like he, he's not reacting at all. Are we not funny or what's happening? <laughs> I was laughing to tell Jason the other day, like I told oh, I was him a laughing, joke during Drawn and Paneled. And <clears throat> yep. I told a joke during Drawn and Paneled, and Jason's reaction was, right. I went, what the fuck, dude? Give me something. Damn. <laughs> really? Listen, Jason, is your, he's your straight man. He is. Fuck okay. me. Come on, just laugh a little bit. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So I, I'm going to say my bit again. I'm going to try to replicate okay. that. So. All right. 
In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 